Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Cam Waters and Shane Van Gisbergen battled it out across the Winton Super Sprint weekend, with Waters taking two wins to Van Gisbergen's one. Harry Jones won two of the three Carrera Cup races. The other went to David Russell, while Tim Blanchard was the comeback king in Formula Ford with a hat-trick of race wins. We will debrief all the goings-on from Winton later in the pod. Supercars may not race at Sandown this year after all. There is speculation that the event is in danger due to a push to only hold 12 events rather than the planned 13. There are said to be at least three wildcard entries in the Bathurst 1000 field this year with the Boost Erebus car and the expected return of the Super Cheap Auto car to be joined by a one-off entry run by Dick Johnson Racing in conjunction with another yet-to-be-named team. We understand it will be a Dick Johnson Racing Mustang that they use. The future of two-day race meetings has become a topic of discussion in the supercars paddock, with some team owners arguing that the pressure it puts on crews outweighs any cost-benefit. Grove Racing has confirmed its Bathurst 1000 lineup. Matt Payne will join David Reynolds, and Matt Campbell will be partnered with Lee Holdsworth. Payne, of course, is widely expected to step into Holdsworth's seat full-time for next season. The Speed Series season continues at Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend, and there will even be some live free-to-air TV action. Nine Gem will broadcast... The action from 5.30pm to 7.30pm on the Saturday evening and the rest will be shown on Stan Sport. Joining me this week to discuss all that and much more is a teammate that I would wave on by if it meant a great team result, even if we had to talk about it later, Stefan Bartholomeus. Stefan, how are you today? G'day, Andrew. I'm very well, although I do feel like you're the sort of bloke who would have in their contract a number one driver status from the outset, so you'd never get yourself into a Checo Perez type situation. Oh, come on. That's not me at all. I would. Uh, the team can hire whoever they want as my number two, and you push me pretty hard, Stefan. I'll tell you <laughs> that. You push me pretty hard. Some pretty good racing at Winton, I have to say. Three races that boiled down to a Cam Waters versus Shane Van Gisbergen battle, and the two won by Waters were genuine thrillers that really went down to the uh, to the line. Um, from my read, it seems that the tick for car is right with the Triple Eight package over a lap at the moment. Slower over a stint though, uh, but with track position, Cam can get the job done. Um, part of that, I think, is that you know Cam has a level of aggression to his racecraft that that, that rivals. Shane Van Gisbergen, they are known as the two hardest racers in the field and in races one and three, we really did see that and we saw Waters get his elbows out when he needed to get the job done. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen actually covered that very topic off in the post-race press conference on the Saturday evening. Uh, that's worth having a listen to. Yeah, like there's smart racers and there aren't smart racers and he's one of the smart ones, knows where to place it, knows how to defend very good and always enjoy the battles and even though I come second, it was a great race. So... Um, yeah, but if I fix my starts, uh, you know, I'll be fine. But 
yeah, racing cam's always a lot of fun and always a tough race. Always know you're going to get pushed to the limit, but the limit is enough, and that's all I need. And I always nice. enjoy battling him. Stefan, what was your take on the way that they raced each other at Winton on the weekend? You know, aside aside from the first race on Sunday where Cam really needed to cover the inside line a lot quicker, it felt much less inevitable when Van Gisbergen was playing that hunter role that he was going to get through. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, part of that is Cam and the way he races, but it was probably also partly the circumstances of the weekend. Like, clearly it's harder to pass at Winton than some other places, and outside of race three, Shane didn't have the tyre advantage that we've seen him have in, in other races that has meant he can just mow people down pretty easily. So that kind of made it easier for Cam on the weekend. But that said, if if you could choose, choose any driver to be in your car when you've got Shane hunting you down, I think you'd choose Cam, right? Like he races hard and he's really good under pressure. Like there was, there was actually mention on the broadcast about Cam's work with a sports psychologist, which mm, is something yep. I'm told he's been doing for a few years, but typical of Cam, it's not something he's gone out and, and publicised. He's just working hard in the background to to maximise every area that he can. So, as you said, he got it done in races one and three, but, um, you know, that, that race one on Saturday just showed really how you need to get absolutely everything right to beat Shane, when you look at the start, the opening lap, the pit stop, the out lap, the long run pace, and then you've just got to hit all your marks um, on the run home. And he nearly he nearly slipped there on the penultimate corner of that that opening race. That was so close to Shane being up the inside on the last corner. But uh, yeah, then in race two, he just didn't quite didn't quite cover it enough on the out lap, and it only uh, took that small gap for for Shane to be in there. Yeah, he just got kind of duped by Shane there, the way he sort of dummied to the inside, then didn't go straight away and then went again and Cam was sort of just left sitting in the middle of the road. But I do think there's definitely – I mean, we know this and I've spoken to Shane about it. If you go back a few podcasts, Shane talks about the fact, you know, when he's talking about Brock Feeney needing to learn racecraft, he talks about the fact someone like Cam is someone that you need to be very savvy when you're racing because he'll hang you out to dry really quick. That's what he's really good at doing. Um, I, I actually spoke to Tim Edwards uh, on Sunday evening and, and said, you know, it must be nice – having a guy on your team that is willing to take the fight to Shane. He said, well, it's embarrassing sometimes the way other guys just wave him on by. He said, it is nice that, you know, Cam is actually happy to go out and, uh, and, and race the guy. So yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, it was interesting. I, I feel like we have these kind of, we've had a few false dawns on sort of the coming of age of Cam Waters as a proper, you know, consistent race winner, someone who could in the right car challenge for a title and all that sort of stuff. But maybe we're starting, maybe we're starting to see that now, finally, that, you know, this might stick. He might, he might have that switch that goes, right, I can be, you know, I'm, I, maybe I'm the second best guy out there now and it's time to go and chase Shane down. And, you know, he was, he was talking at the end of the weekend about, you know, this championship not necessarily being over, even though there's a, there's a big points gap. So anyway, look, I grabbed Cam for a quick one-on-one chat on Sunday evening where he did cover that off. Uh, here's what he had to say. You would be fairly happy with that weekend, I would think. Uh, yeah, very happy. As a whole, we've um, probably by far the best weekend we've had. So, um, two race wins, you know, second, two poles. It's yeah, really cool. So, massive thank you to the the team for giving me a speedy car. Yeah, um, you raced Shane pretty hard this weekend. You know, particularly in that first race yesterday. He does seem to get an easy ride sometimes when he's passing from other guys. Do you feel like you're the guy that's willing to get your elbows out in racing? Uh, yeah, 100%. It's um, 
frustrating at times when you're you know in a race and he other people just let him through but uh, i feel like they wouldn't do that for me but yeah that's okay um it is what it is you just gotta you know do your own race and and um you know go from there but yeah it's awesome to race shane he, he races you really hard but you know usually fair yeah. um so yeah, it's good. He said a couple of times that you know he knows when he's racing you that he's going to get pushed to the absolute limit, but he's okay with that. Is that how you have to race someone as aggressive as he is? Um, I kind of race everyone that hard, to be honest. Some people suck about it, and some uh, some accept it and get on with it and, and give it back. And and Shane, you know, races hard and and fair, just the same way. So it's yeah, awesome to race Shane like that. How did you feel? How do you feel where you're at with sort of outright car pace? It's sort of hard to get a read because in the second race today, Shane did get that margin in the second stand. Are you still lacking to those guys on pure pace? I think outright pace we're, we're not, but um, probably across a race, um, you know, race stint, stint it's yeah. probably a little bit off. But if you have track position, it's enough. So yeah. there's not a lot in it, but. Yeah, we did things over the weekend and we got the car better across the three races. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're definitely not out of ideas and we've definitely made, you know, steps forward, which is nice. We just need to make sure we take one more step forward. You're sort of you're entering the conversation of, you know, being... You're close to being second in the championship, second in the points. Yeah. Um, Shane has got a pretty healthy gap, but do you sort of go, well, let's try and be a fly in the ointment and give them something to worry about over the second half of the season? Ah, oh, that's the plan, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want him to just hand it to him, so I'm going to go out there and have a crack and you know win as many races as I can. And um, you know, I said earlier, we need to have a car that's fast every weekend at all different tracks, and if we can do that, then you know we'll be able to take it to him. So, and do you feel like you're heading towards that window? Uh, well, the last two weekends we've had you know a pretty speedy car. And two different tracks. Yeah. Um, even Grand Prix to some extent will pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're getting there. We've got a test day coming up. We've got a few things in the pipeline, and and we'll go to Darwin. And if we can, you know, be competitive in Darwin, then I think we're on for a good second half of the year. Stefan Grove Racing, the hype is real. There was a lot of very worried people who don't work for Grove Racing, uh, wandering around the paddock on Friday, just reflecting on the Winton test. Last week, apparently David Reynolds was lightning quick on that day. Um, and, you know, if we reflect on how the, the, the race weekend panned out, I think that there is, there's no doubt that those, that those cars are very, very quick. Um, I think if, if Reynolds had executed better in qualifying across the weekend, he could have been a factor in those, in those races, particularly, you know, the race, the race one qualifying or the Saturday qualifying effort was particularly disappointing, I think, because he was so quick in Q1 and Q2 and then kind of dropped it right. Um, when it mattered, but still obviously massive strides forward for that team. I mean, given the investment in people and development, I guess it's no surprise that we're seeing improvement, but are you surprised at how quickly they've made the gains, how quickly they've found this pace? Yeah, for sure. I think like neither of us predicted pre-season that they would be this competitive. If you look at what they've done up to Winton and the fact that they did have that test day, it wasn't, I don't think, too surprising that they were right in the fight on the weekend because clearly they did have a really good test um, and in that position they're in where they're developing hard and and bringing new pieces to the car and and really trying to learn what they have having that day then at the track that we're going to race at next um, was clearly very valuable so we saw them roll out really well in practice one um, and then as you say they probably from the speed they had initially they they underperformed a little bit from there i mean david couchy was talking about the fact that they 
probably should have won a race if they'd executed everything right. But um, that's probably as as big a sign as any of the steps they've actually taken. I mean, they're holding themselves to a pretty high account down there these days. Well, let's remember, I mean, Darwin will be interesting because last year in Darwin, there was one of the races where um, where Reynolds and Andre Heimgartner locked out the back row of the grid on genuine pace and we're both sitting there at the end of it going, no, no, we didn't make mistakes. The cars are just really, really slow. And that was only a couple of rounds after Heimgartner had won at the bend. So it will be interesting going back there to see, you know, maybe that's where we find out how genuine this is, if they're running back at the front. And I suspect they probably will be. Um, that will certainly make a statement based on where they were at at the exact same point a year ago. Um, I guess almost the opposite is true if we talk about Dick Johnson racing. You know, they were really quick in Darwin last year and they probably need to go back and show um, that they are quick there again this year because at Winton, they just looked completely off the pace, you know. Not disastrous, not WAU in Perth disastrous, but not not good, particularly with Anton sitting second in the championship. And, you know, they're also coming off a good recent run um, at Winton, or as recent as pre-pandemic can be. You know, they, they've won a lot of races there recently, although that was during the, you know, the, the Penske era and the Scott McLaughlin era of dominance and all that sort of stuff. Definitely no dominance this weekend, just not quite there. What was your take on that, Stefan? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can really read too much on how they were at a certain track in 2019 and, and compare it to now, considering oh, for sure. considering the changes yeah. there, but also just how much the category moves on and it's a different tyre and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, clearly their performance was really underwhelming on the weekend. It was probably their worst dry weather run in, in several years, probably since Ludo Lacroix joined in 2017. They didn't roll out well and they struggled to get on top of it. And that's one of the things that everyone's talking about with these two-day meetings, that uh, yeah. if you don't start well, it's hard to... Uh, Hard to get back on the pace. And um, by the end of the weekend, they sort of did have a bit of qualifying pace going. I mean, Anton was on the second row for the for the last race, but, man, their pace on the long run wasn't good. And I think like an eighth for Anton in a couple of races was the best they managed with either car or weekend. So clearly it was massively costly in the championship, but I don't really think it's time to hit the panic button for these guys. It was a pretty tough assignment at the Victorian Test Track. And yes, yeah. yes, Triple Eight went well, another Queensland-based team. But I think having that that rookie test they were able to do with Brock Feeney the week before, and the fact that Andrew Edwards is in that team and actually went to that test, even though he engineers Shane normally, like he's he's he had been at Brad Jones Racing, Andrew Edwards before this year for such a long time. Like he basically lived yeah. at Winton for over a decade. He knows so, Winton. Yeah, yeah. If, if that guy couldn't help them sort of overcome this Winton bogey track then nothing, nothing would. So, yeah, I think for DJR, next we go to Hidden Valley, which is a track that you do actually see relevant form from. Uh, you know, I think they got every pole there last year. They were really quick. Yeah. So, yeah, you'd expect them to be a lot better at Hidden Valley. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Uh, there were plenty of eyes on Walkinshaw and Ready United uh, at Winton as well after their horror show in Perth last time out. It was definitely an improved performance, but it did mostly seem that that improvement was limited to the Chas Mostert side of the garage. Nick Perkett struggled again, particularly in qualifying. He was out-qualified by the Juso Jada wildcard entry for two of the races and was last on the grid, like 27th on the grid for race three. I had a bit of a chat with Nick on, on Sunday evening, and his take is that, you know, that it's, it's actually a front-end feel thing that he's missing. There's just something, you know, on the new tyre, he just doesn't quite have enough feel in the front end. And it, Chaz's car is the same, but Chaz is just better at dealing with it because he's got more experience with that WAU package being in his third year with the team. And he's saying, like, it's not much, but with the way the category is at the moment, you don't have to miss by much to, you know, instead of being 14th, you're 27th. Um, but still, I mean, taking all that into account, were you surprised by the gap between the two WAU drivers on the weekend? Totally. I mean, we know that Nick's a very good driver. The jury's probably out a little bit as to whether he's absolutely a match for Chaz, but clearly he shouldn't be anywhere near that far off. Forget about qualifying behind the wild card. So, yeah, I mean, Chaz described on Sunday the car as being not very user-friendly, which probably summed it up pretty well. I mean, it yeah. looks like it's a really hard car setup-wise to find the sweet spot. And, you know, it is only that tiny bit off puts them a long way off compared to some of the other the other cars where there's a bit of a bigger window to play with. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that Nick could come out of the test day and, um, and still be that bad um, is definitely a worry. I think this is a big test for him right now and his headspace and confidence. And I guess seeing car eight up on the podium is probably not great for him either. Yeah, for sure. He did say they kind of, him and Chaz started the weekend with two totally different philosophies and the plan was to just try and see the whole weekend out and try and learn some stuff and they got into practice one, did a couple of laps and went, oh, this isn't good. Had to sort of end up chucking it all, the whole thing in the bin, went back to Chaz's setup, which obviously isn't working perfectly for him. And again, you touched on it and we're about to talk about it um, uh, a lot in a bit more detail, but those two-day rounds, yeah, once you're on the back foot, it's very hard to get back uh, on the front foot. Maybe they'll find some answers in Monaco this weekend. Uh, Chaz, Chaz and Nick were heading off on a little holiday together today, I believe, uh, or yesterday, uh, over to Monaco to stay with Ryan Walkinshaw and check out the Monaco Grand Prix. So who knows, they might find something while they're flying around the world. All right, let's crack into some of the news doing the rounds. There is a strong possibility that we could end up with only 12 rounds this year. It's something that's been discussed by supercars and the teams as a cost-saving measure at the moment. Now, this issue may actually solve itself organically if the trip to New Zealand doesn't go ahead. Uh, there's still a very big question mark over that because of the freight uh, costs and the freight challenges around the world at the moment. Supercars and Auckland Unlimited are still working on freight options. I have to say this probably, it felt like there was a little more optimism um, around the Winton paddock than there was around the Perth paddock of that happening. There's some talk that Auckland Unlimited are sort of keen to stick a bit more cash in to try and and make it happen. And there's definitely a, 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 there's a want from the team's to get over there as long as it can be made affordable um, in some sort of way. There will be an answer on New Zealand by the end of this month, and there's a number of reasons for that. Obviously, the teams need to plan. Everyone needs to know what's going on. There's tyre production to factor in and all that sort of stuff. So the deadline for that is kind of the end of this month, so we'll know something within the week, hopefully. If New Zealand does happen and supercars opts to reduce to 12 rounds, then it seems that Sandown is the round left on 
the firing line. Stefan, what's your read on all this? Like, is it really a good look for the fans to drop around and effectively say we're trying to race as little as possible? Oh, yeah. I mean, of, of course uh, not. I mean, it's pretty drastic to be chopping the calendar for anything other than uh, immovable objects like border restrictions, which thankfully we don't have anymore. So, yeah, it'd be especially uh, galling, I think, for fans like with how few events there's been in Victoria over the last couple of years to ditch an event in the heart of Melbourne basically would be uh, would be pretty shocking. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's even worse, to be honest, that Sandown appears to be on borrowed time as a track. So it'd be um, yeah. a shame if, if they don't go there. But that said, New Zealand's clearly very important as well. So um, if it's an either or, if they're looking at sea freight or, or whatever, that means they could, couldn't do both. That's uh, That's a tough call. Yeah, well, I mean, if Sandown was dropped, it would open up the opportunity to sea freight probably at least to get to New Zealand, which might say things. And there's definitely still the possibility that both rounds happen. Uh, it's not decided that there will only be 12 rounds, but it's certainly certainly been discussed. There was a board meeting last week where it was discussed, and it's all it's all quite interesting. I, I certainly agree. It's not, a, it's not a great look. It's not a great look for fans to sort of say, right, we're actually going to just take a round out of the equation. Um, I think if New Zealand had just been too hard, you say, well, it's force majeure, we can't go, whatever. That that might have been a way to get around it from a PR perspective. But um, if they end up going there and just saying, look, we just can't do sand down now, then it's it's kind of not a good look. But we'll see what we'll see what happens there. Um, two day race meetings. I ran a bit of a vox pop with some of the team owners on whether the cost saving element is really worth the pressure that the pack schedule puts on the crews. It was already a topic of discussion on the Friday, particularly when there was, you know, no supercars running on track and everyone's kind of standing around, became a very organic talking point. You know, it doesn't really make any sense. The fact we're not having a couple of practice sessions today, the majority said that they don't like the two day race meetings. That was really the feeling in the paddock. It's, it's hard on the crew. It's difficult to do sponsor activations over the weekend because the drivers are so busy. Um, you can't, you know, particularly somewhere like Winton where the merch area is on the other side of the venue, you know, on the Saturday, there was just no scope to get drivers over there. So if we're trying to be as fan friendly as possible, we are kind of, um, we're kind of making that more difficult. Um, and there's there was staff at the track from Thursday onwards anyway. There was drivers in town from Thursday onwards. So the savings on accommodations and meals and all that stuff, you know, it's, most teams were telling me are fairly minimal. Um, the drivers don't like it because exactly as you pointed out before, Steph, and if you don't roll out of the truck well, it's very difficult to turn your weekend around. Um, Tim, Tim Edwards was telling me that, like, yeah, but particularly with James Court and his car on the weekend, like, you're scrambling to work out how much fuel you have to put back in the thing, let alone talking about how you could possibly make it faster in between those sessions. There is also, it's important to note, there's a cost-saving element for Fox Sports as well in only having two to produce two days of, of live TV rather than three. So I think, you know, there's a preference from them to have these events. Um, Stefan, where do you sit on the two-day, three-day debate? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of factors there um, and ultimately how much money it saves and who's saving it's probably uh, pretty important. But like you say, there's heaps of people around on Thursday and then standing around Friday because it's hard to set things up in garage and, and pit lane and stuff when there's support categories running on the Friday. So a lot of it needs to yep. be done Thursday anyway. But I guess my main concern out of, out of all of those points is um, the way the sport – uh, treats its people and looks after its people. I mean, yeah, the, the point about how hard it is on the crews is really important. When you look at Saturday, like when there's two practice, two quality and a race, 
it's hard enough um, to turn the cars around in that time. Forget about when the engineers are throwing big changes at them and then the mechanics have got to carry all that out physically on the cars. So, yeah, yeah I question whether um, whether you need to put people through that, um, especially, you know, mechanics are probably look at not, looking at not having Christmas holidays this year because they'll be building Gen 3 cars that making the race meetings just yeah. painful for them. Is uh, is not a good thing when uh, retention of quality staff is is such an issue already. So whether uh, the answer to that is three days or it's something else like the Park Fermo stuff they were trialing a couple of years ago, where at least you had time in the schedule where they weren't allowed to do anything but very basic bolt checks and servicing. So um, yeah, that that all was sort of trialed in nineteen and twenty, but it went away just as quickly. But uh, I don't know whether that can be part of the solution here. Yeah, for sure. It was probably, you know, the, uh, on the plus side of it, um, again, talking to Tim Edwards, he he sort of recognised how hard it is on crews, but uh, his his thoughts from a fan perspective is that it's actually a good thing because, you know, it's just, it's just track time. The bang for your buck from your ticket to a Saturday is so much better than if there was practice on the Friday, which is a fair enough point to some extent. I guess we get a bit of, you know, it, 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 it may be – plays into the form a little bit. It makes the form a bit harder to read across the weekend. But I think your point about the pressure it puts on the crews, and that's I, I, you don't find many people that like it. You don't find many people that go, yeah, this is a good idea to, to just try and cram so much stuff into a Saturday. And all your points about crew welfare are 100% spot on. There are staffing issues at the moment. The teams are struggling to find staff. So making life harder than it needs to be, probably not the best idea. All right, it looks like we'll have at least three wild cards at the Bathurst 1000 this year. Dick Johnson Racing looks set to team up with another yet-to-be-named squad to field an additional DJR Mustang in the 2022 running of the great race. Uh, we also expect the super cheap auto wild card to be back probably with Craig Lowndes at the wheel uh, and the Boost Mobile-backed Erebus car for Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway. Stefan, this is an interesting little development here with this DJR run or DJR-associated Car, and I think there's going to be a fair bit of fun to play out with this one. Are you a fan of having uh, these extra entries in the Bathurst field? Yeah, I think I think everyone is, as long as they're quality uh, quality cars. So, as you say, there's a bit still to unravel with this um, DJR car, but um, bringing the field to 28 with three wild cards would be the biggest Bathurst grid since 2013. So it's it's certainly one part of the show that's sort of uh, missing these days compared to yesteryear is having that uh, that bigger field. Um, so that's yeah, that's definitely a cool thing. And and like the the Murphy Stanaway one clearly brings a good um, a good storyline to it that we were looking forward to last year. But then uh, the border restrictions uh, hampered that. And uh, yeah, Craig, uh, do we know who's um, who's co-driving that one with him yet? Surely. Um, Surely Declan Fraser, who's in Super 2 with Triple Eight, um, would be a fairly good shot at that. I saw he um, he was a late addition to that uh, one of the Mark cars at the 12 hour, so he got some uh, handy yeah. Mount Panorama laps uh, before October. Yeah, and he was pretty speedy. He was pretty speedy as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's a fairly. There's been a lot of talk that you know it would make sense that it would be between him and, and Cam Hill in the other Triple Eight Super Two entry. So I think you're probably you're probably on the money there, but we we don't we don't know for sure.
All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Max Verstappen won a slightly controversial Spanish Grand Prix that effectively saw Red Bull shift leader Sergio Perez out of the way to help the Dutchman. George Russell finished third in an improved Mercedes, while Lewis Hamilton recovered from an early puncture to finish fifth. Charles Leclerc led early but was a DNF due to an engine failure, and the 25-point swing means Verstappen now leads the championship by six points heading to Monaco, which is quite remarkable given his season looked Absolutely cooked after Melbourne. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo was 12th in Spain, four spots behind his teammate Lando Norris, who was struggling with tonsillitis. Calais Roven Pera has extended his World Rally Championship points lead after securing his third consecutive win with victory at Rally Portugal. He finished ahead of Toyota teammate Elvin Evans. Sheldon Vanderlinder, meanwhile, won both DTM races at the Lausitz Ring. And Scott Dixon is now a five-time Indianapolis 500 pole sitter. His 234-mile-per-hour effort was the second-fastest qualifying run in Indy history and the fastest for pole. The Kiwi will be joined on the front row by Alex Palau and Renus VK. All right, let's dip into the Castrol mailbag. This week, Gary Eichenloff asks why we don't see pit crew wearing personalised helmets like drivers do. Um, he's talking about supercars here. You know, it argues he argues that it could be a, you know help fans recognise the individual crew members better and whether they've done a good job or a bad job at a pit stop and all that sort of stuff. I asked one of the teams about this, and apparently the helmet is basically part of the uniform and is is coordinated and tied into sponsor requirements and all that sort of stuff. Um, they mostly use snowboarding helmets, by the way, in, in case anyone was wondering what, what it is that's on their noggin when they're out there throwing tyres and fuel at these things. Stefan, should crew members be able to express themselves like the drivers can with their helmets, do you reckon? Well, it's an, it's an interesting idea. I mean, I think the design would probably get a little bit lost in in the sea of colour that's a pit stop. I don't know how, yeah. how much time yeah. you'd have to take it all in on, on the TV. Um and then there's sort of the element of whether it leaves individuals open to a bit more of a baking on social media than they really need. I think yep. they, they cop it enough from uh, from the team boss if uh, if the pit stop doesn't go right. So that might not be something they need. But, yeah, I'd be interested to, to know what actual crew members uh, think of it because individuality is uh, to be encouraged in a lot of areas of life. Absolutely. Well, it's time for our Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, this week I'm going to go with Andre Heimgartner. Uh, he had a very tidy Sunday for Brad Jones Racing at Winton, topped off with a third in race three. He was even mixing it with Giz and Cam for a while there. And, you know, even though he dropped back from that lead from the battle, it was still a fine performance. And, and he seemed pretty pretty up and about about, you know, the fact that they made some gains with those cars. Home track, obviously, tested recently, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, again... We'll go to Darwin and, and, and see if 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 those gain, they can make those gains stick. But either way, um, you know there was a lot of drivers who had just come off a test there on the weekend, and they couldn't all go forwards. And he he very much did. So I thought it was pretty impressive. Who have you got this week for your Castrol Star of the Week? Well, my Castrol Star of the Week is Shane Van Gisbergen, but not for anything that happened on the track because that'd be a that'd be a rare takeout as a headline from the weekend. Um, but it would, yeah, more for a little gesture on the podium. So you've. We've all seen that there's only ever three champagne bottles on the podium. The team representative mm -hmm. never gets one, which to me is really odd. Maybe that Foxtel champagne is really expensive. I'm, I'm not sure. Anyway, Shane doesn't tend to actually spray the champagne when he wins. He usually hands the bottle straight to his crew member, his Triple Eight team representative up there, so they can enjoy the moment. But on Sunday, of course, Cam Waters won, so the winning team rep was actually Cam's number two mechanic, Cordell Muir. And to see Shane step back and let 
Cordell, a guy from another team, had that experience of spraying the bottle of champagne around on the podium. I thought that was really neat and just a nice little touch that uh, is is easy to see go by without mentions. So uh, well done to Shane for that. Well, well done for you for picking up that uh, that that little moment and uh, making it your star of the week. Maybe it was just a reflex from Shane. He just like he just wins so often. He just automatically just swings the bottle that way, and he was like, "Hang on a minute, that's not that's not one of my." Well, ones. maybe he was just trying um, to no. uh, get away from uh, Cordell's uh, crook haircut, which uh, Cam Waters had actually given to him on Saturday night uh, as a bit <laughs> of a uh, when your next win a race, I'll uh, I'll let you do that. So uh, clearly, uh, there's a good uh, good vibe there at Tickford at the moment. No, very much so. And Shane, you know, he's uh, he, he sometimes comes across as, you know, he's very straight and he downplays a lot of stuff on the TV, but he is he is actually a good bloke at heart as, as that moment shows. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.